Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, we're so glad that you came out tonight. Are you ready to get something brand new from the Word of God? All right, let me see your Bibles. Did you bring your Bibles? Always bring... It's good to see real Bibles. How many of you use electronic Bibles? Let me see here. That's good. We're just glad you have your Bibles. And tonight, I'm going to do what Pastor Dwayne has asked me to do. I was going to do one thing, and just before we walked in here, he said, you know, I really like what I saw you do on one particular program. I think I'd like for you to do that tonight. I said, okay, that's what I'll do tonight. So this is without preparation, and we're just going to dive in. Is that all right? Let's have a good time. Then I want to say thank you for coming. I know that it's a Sunday night, and you could be doing something else. But tonight, you chose to make the Word of God your priority. So I believe tonight the Lord is going to bless you. And Father, we thank you for the privilege that we can be in Grand Rapids. We thank you for your work in this church. We thank you for your work in every church that proclaims the Word of God. We thank you that Jesus really is Lord here and around the world. And Holy Spirit, tonight we yield to you as the great teacher. We ask you to open the Word of God to us. And we ask you to enlighten our eyes and empower us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. And tonight I might be using the whiteboard. It's very rare that I have a whiteboard available, so we'll just see what happens. But I want to give you the scriptures we're going to be using. Tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. Then we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Then 2 Timothy, if we have time to get to all this, chapter 3 and verse 1. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So you be ready to go to all those places with me. But when we come to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is sitting with his disciples on the Mount of Olivet overlooking the prophetic scene in front of them, which is the panoramic view of the Temple Mount. And as he is sitting there with his disciples privately, the disciples begin to ask him questions. And we read that in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3. As he sat upon the Mount of Olivets, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? If you have an ink pen or a pencil, I want you to circle the word when in your Bible. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age, either underline or circle the word what, and then if you would underline or circle the word sign, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Circle or underline the word end and the word world. So in this verse, you have these key words which are very important, the word when, the word what, the word sign, the word end, and the word world. The disciples said, tell us when. The word when in Greek is the word pote. It is a very specific word, which means tell us precisely, exactly. No fuzzy answers. We want to know precisely when will these things be. And we find that when you get along with Jesus, you can ask him real direct questions. These were questions which they could not ask in a multitude of people. And likewise, my friend, when you get alone with the Lord, you can have a different conversation than you can have any other time. And so they said, Lord, now that it's just between us, 
pote, exactly when will these things be? And what, the word what in Greek is the little word T, it's spelled T-I, it describes the most minute, minuscule detail, which means they were literally saying, Lord, tell us exactly down to the most precise details, what will be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The word sign, the Greek word simeon, was the very word used to describe a road marker to let you know where you were when you were traveling on a road. Denise and I live outside the wonderful city of Moscow. And if we didn't have signs on the road, we wouldn't know where we were when we were traveling. But because we have signs, we're able to identify where we are, we can see how far we've traveled, and we can identify how much further we have to go. And when the disciples said, Lord, what will be the sign, using this Greek word, Simeon, they were literally asking, Lord, what will be the prophetic signs we'll see on the prophetic road to the end of the age? To let us know how far we've gone and how much further we have to go before we come to the end of the world. And the word end is the Greek word, suntileus. It doesn't describe the ultimate end like finality, but the wrap-up of the world And the word world here is not the word gaze, which would describe the planet. It's not the word cosmos, which would describe the universe, but it's the word ionos, which literally means they were saying, Lord, how will we know? What will be the signs we will see on the prophetic road to let us know we've come to the very conclusion or the wrap-up of this current age? And they wanted to know precisely and exact answers to this question. And they asked for one sign. But Jesus gave them many. And he begins in verse 4 by saying, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. This word deceive is very important in Greek. It is the word planeo. If you want to write this down in English, it's spelled like this. And the word planeo is repeated over and over and over in the New Testament in connection with the coming of the Lord. And this word deceive is a particular word which describes a nation or a people who once walked on a path that was well-established. In fact, it was a path that they had walked upon so regularly that you could blindfold them and they could still walk on that path because it was a well-worn path that they had walked upon. But when you come to this word planeo, it describes a person, a people, or a nation who somehow has veered from that path that it always walked upon, and now it has gone astray, and now they're teetering right on the edge of a dangerously steep cliff, treacherously teetering there. And in fact, this word planeo was the very word used to describe an animal that got so lost that it could not find its way back home. And this word was used specifically in regard to moral wandering. And the writers who lived between the Old and the New Testament periods used this word to describe an infusion of demon spirits that would be released in the very end of the age to cause people to morally wander and to go astray. They would lose their bearings and they prophesied that society as a whole would become so lost that it would not be able to find its way back. And when Jesus began to give his list of signs that will be indicative that we've come to the end of the age, he gave many, but he listed this first. And he listed it first as the primary sign that you've sailed to the end of the age 
and no much, not much more time remains for the rest of the journey. You will know it. He says, behold, beware, because society as a whole will morally begin to teeter and to go off track. And my friends, I just have to ask you, are we seeing this in the time that we're living in today? You know, when I was a boy in our neighborhood, we loved to play tag. How many of you remember playing tag when you were growing up? I just loved to play tag until I got tagged. And I didn't like to be tagged. I wanted to tag everybody else. But the truth is, in the plan of God, somebody has to be tagged to be the last generation. There have been many people who played the game at their time in history, but now God is tagging us. And God is saying, tag, you're it. You're the ones I've called, and I have anointed you. And you are well able to do this in the end of the age. And Jesus prophesied that we would know we had come to the very end when we see society as whole, as a whole morally beginning to modify itself to such a degree that it goes off track. And you're going to see in just a moment that society as a whole will feel that it has hit some kind of an impasse. But we'll get there in just a moment. Then I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1. And when you come to 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1, the Apostle Paul also writes about the end of the age. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1, he speaks and says, now the Spirit speaks expressly. The Greek says the Spirit speaks categorically, emphatically, unmistakably, that in the latter times, the word latter in Greek is the word husteros. It describes the very, very end of the age when not much is left over. At the very end of time, some shall depart from the faith. The word depart is the Greek word aphistomy. It's a compound of two words. The word apo, which means away from, and it carries the idea of space or distance. The second word is the word histomy, which means to step or to stand. But when you compound these two words together, the words shall depart, the Greek word aphistomy, describes one who steps away from what he once believed. And in fact, he is stepped so far away from it that now he's spacing himself from it. He's putting distance between himself and his former position. And this verse does not say they will reject the faith, but it says they will depart. And it describes a very slow, methodical departure, which may occur so very slowly that those that are in transition may not even be realizing that they are in departure. And the scripture particularly says they shall depart from the faith. And in Greek, it has a definite article, the faith, which means this is not faith for miracles or signs and wonders or finances, but this is the faith. It is a departure from scripture itself. And I think that you know that we're living in a day when denominations whose tenets and creeds of faith are rock solid. If you look just at what is written that they believe, it's right. But if you look at their faith practice, they have departed from what was written in their creeds. Denominations that were born in the power of the Holy Spirit are unthinkably beginning to adopt gender transitions and all of these things which are so diametrically opposed to the Word of God, even though the tenets of their faith states one thing in practice they have departed. They've departed from the faith, and the reason is made clear why in this verse. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And guess what? The word seducing, 
is this same word. Here it shows up again, the word planeo, which means at the very end of the age, even demon spirits will go to work inside the church to try to lure people in another direction, seducing spirits. And this word again particularly has to do with a moral wandering, which means it will be an attack in the spirit realm to cause people to doubt everything they have ever believed on a moral level. And the Bible furthermore says it will be the activity of seducing spirits. The word spirits, the Greek word daimonion, which was believed in the time of the New Testament to describe unseen spirits that cause lunacy and mad kind of thinking. Erratic thinking. Lunacy. And doctrines of demons. The word doctrines, the Greek word didaskalia, from the word didasko, which means to teach, the word kalia from kalos, which describes something good, you put it together, it describes well-packaged information, which means at the end of the age, when this invasion of seducing spirits enters the earth to lure people off track morally, the devil's not going to show up with a pitchfork in his hand and horns on his head, but he's going to come with well-packaged information in order to lure people away from what they have always believed. The information will come through the courts. It will come through the educational system. It will come through the entertainment system as the devil begins to provide a new message that is so seducing, it causes people to loosen their grip on what they have always believed and to turn. In fact, here it says giving heed, the Greek word proseko, it describes one who turns to listen to something else. They turn to consider another option. And I think you know today, one of the most dangerous places you can send your kids or your grandkids is to the university, where they are being told to consider new options that are in violation of their faith. My friends, we need to pray for our young people before we send them to the universities because people are losing their faith in the universities because university professors are teaching things that are contrary to the Word of God, and young people are being seduced. They're being coaxed away from what they were taught, and they're embracing well-packaged information, but behind it is seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Then... We go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, this text is so very important in verse 1, where Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And when you read this in the Greek text, the word know is the Greek word gnoske. It's the direct form of the word gnosko, which means I know, but as it is used here, it means this is something you must know. This is something you must acknowledge. You must comprehend this. And it's like the Holy Spirit is reaching out through the scriptures to grab hold of this last day's generation to shake us and say, please hear me. You must know this. And the role of the Holy Spirit is never to scare us. God never gives anyone a spirit of fear, but he is in the business of preparing us. And in this text, he's particularly speaking to the generation that's going to live in the wrap-up of the age. And he says, hear this, know this. You emphatically must understand this. And in Greek, it uses a little conjunction day, which is like an exclamation marker, which means you would translate the first part of the verse. You must categorically, emphatically know this and understand that 
The word that in Greek is the word hote, is what I call a pointer word. Now the Holy Spirit gets very specific, specifically that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now let me give you this phrase, last days, in Greek. In Greek, it's spelled like this. It's the Greek word eschatis. It's plural. Hemirais. Now, I'm showing this to you because you'll understand why in just a moment. The word eschatos, if you're going to write it in English, is spelled like this. Do you see another word? What word do we get from that? Eschatology. What is eschatology? Eschatology is the study of end times. But the word eschatos, which is used in this verse, very specifically describes what is final or what is ultimate. It describes the very, very end of a thing, for example. The word eschatos would describe the last day of a week, but only the last day. The word eschatos would describe the last month of the year, but only the last month of the year. This word always describes what is furthest away. It was used in a geographical sense to describe the farthest place you could visit on the earth. And in a navigational sense, this word was widely used to describe the very last port that a ship could visit. Though the ship had visited many ports along the way, if they came to the port which was called Eschatos, it means it is the last port. There's not another stopping off place after this. You've sailed to the end and now there's almost no time left for the journey. And that is the word which the Holy Spirit uses here. So when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, when the Holy Spirit says, you emphatically must understand this. You categorically must comprehend this, specifically that when time has sailed to the very last port and almost no more time remains for the rest of the journey, perilous times shall come. But the Greek text states it a little different. It says, there shall come perilous times. And those words, shall come, are really a very bad translation. And forgive me for giving you another Greek word, but I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit is saying in this verse. In Greek, it is a compound of two words. It is the word en plus the word histomy. The word en means to be in something the word histomy means to stand. And when you compound these two words together, it means to stand in the midst of something. And in fact, you're so stuck in the midst of it that you feel you're surrounded by it on every side. You are literally in the middle of it. You're encumbered by it. It doesn't matter if you look here or here or here or here or here. Everywhere you look, you feel that you're completely surrounded by what is standing around you. And the Holy Spirit says, you will know you've been tagged for the end of the age. And you will know when you have sailed to the last port and not much more time remains for the rest of the journey, when you find yourself stuck in the middle of events all around you, perilous times. The word perilous, interestingly, is the Greek word kalopos. And this word, kalapas, in English, it's spelled like this, describes something that is risky, 
something that is dangerous. It is treacherous. It was the very word which was used to describe dangerous dogs, which were a menace, wild animals that could savagely tear you to pieces. This word was also used to describe emotions that were destructive and harmful. Everything about this word kalopos is negative and terrible. And in fact, the whole idea of the word perilous, the Greek word kalopos is, this is so filled with treachery and risk that if you get near this, there's a possibility that you could be hurt by it. So now the Holy Spirit says, you'll know when you've sailed to the end of the age and you've come to the last port and not much more time remains for the rest of the journey because you will feel that you're standing in the midst of nonsense. Everywhere you look, here, there, behind you, to your side, everywhere you look, you will wonder how did we get in this place? We're surrounded, encumbered on every side by such craziness, by such hurt, by such damage. And in fact, the Holy Spirit says times, the plural form of the word kairos, which means the word opportunity, there's going to be so much opportunity for us to feel that we're surrounded on every side by danger when we've come to the very end of the age. And what is really important is that this word kalopos is only used one other time in the entire New Testament. So to know how it's used here, you have to go to the other place where it's used. And the other place that it is used is Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. So everybody turn there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And when you come to Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible tells us about when Jesus and his disciples sailed to the other side of the sea. And in Matthew chapter 8, Verse 28, the Bible says, And when Jesus was come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, to the other side of the sea, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. And notice this phrase, exceeding fierce. Everybody say exceeding fierce. That's the same word. That's the word kalopos. They were exceeding fierce. So that no man might pass by that way. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me show you what that means. The Sea of Galilee was surrounded by a road that went all the way around it. So I'm not an artist, but let's pretend that I am. So here we have the Sea of Galilee. If you were in the north and you wanted to go to Jerusalem, you had to take the road which went along this side. It was called the Via Maris. It was a highway. Or you could travel on the east side, the same road which could go from the north to the south, and you could go to Jerusalem. Or if you're in Jerusalem, you wanted to go to the north, you would take the Via Maris this way, or you would take it this way. But if you're in the north and you want to go to the south, or you're in the south and you want to go to the north, you have to take this road. But these two demonized men lived right here. I have been there. It's the country of the Gadarenes. And their tombs where they lived were right near the road. And as people would take this road from the north to the south or the south to the north, when they would come to this area where these demon-possessed men were, who were kalopos, exceedingly fierce, they would come charging out of the tombs. And these men posed such a threat 
that the people who were traveling on this road felt like they hit an impasse and people didn't know how to get beyond this thing that they were confronting as they were just trying to move on in life. They were hitting an impasse that terrified them as they were taking the road. So now understanding that when you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, the Holy Spirit says, this know also. The Greek says, tauto de gnoske. You emphatically must know this. You must grip it. You must understand it. That, specifically that. When time has sailed to the end of days, when not much more time remains for the journey, society as a whole will feel like it is standing in the midst of an impasse. An impasse. People will say, how do we get beyond this? How did we get into this place? How do we get through what is taking place in the world around us? And that is what the Holy Spirit prophesied would occur in the very end of the age. And according to the writers and the prophetic voices that spoke in the intertestamental periods between the Old and the New Testament, the primary indication that we have sailed to the end of the age will be delusional spirits that have been released into society at the end of the age. But then there's more. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul again describes the end of the age. It's very important for us to understand what the Bible says about the end of the age. If you're not established in what the Bible says, then people can upset you with crazy ideas. So you need to know what the Bible says because there's a lot of voices on the internet today, particularly on YouTube, that will give you all kinds of things that are not Bible-based. But when you come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want you to see what Paul says in verse 3. He says, let no man deceive you by any means. And guess what the word deceive is? Again, it is the word planeo. And now the Holy Spirit is speaking to us as an end-time generation and is saying, don't let the devil lead you morally off track just because everyone else has lost their moral bearings. And then he adds, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. When he says, that day shall not come, it's talking about the coming of the Lord. And he says, before the coming of the Lord is here, a series of events are going to take place. And the first thing he says is there will be a falling away, which in Greek is the word apostasia. You hear the word apostasy. That's the word that is used here. And people tend to use the word apostasy to describe a departure from faith. But in fact, the word apostasia, the word that is used in this text, is used regularly in literature to describe a mutinous attitude toward authority. And here we find, at the end of the age, before the coming of Jesus, right before the coming of Jesus, there's going to be a mutinous attitude in the world toward the law of God when the world will begin to throw off the law of God and begin to go its own way a mutinous worldwide attitude toward the authority of God. And the Bible says, and that man of sin. Well, that's what the King James Version says. The Greek says anomia. The word anomia is from the word nomos, which is the word for law. But if you put an A on the front, it becomes the man of no law or the man of lawlessness. 
And so now we find at the end of the age, when the world begins to shuck the authority of God and becomes mutinous toward the law of God, and the world at large becomes more and more and more and more lawless, lawless does not mean revolution in the streets, but a people who have defiantly chosen to live free of the law of God itself and to go in a different direction. When society as a whole becomes lawless of the law of God, society will give birth to its own man. And that man is called the man of sin. That's in the King James Version. But the Greek says he is the man of lawlessness. And my friends, if you would think about it, the Antichrist could not have come to authority 50 years ago because the world was still ruled by a sense of right and wrong and by biblical values. But as time sails further and further and further, we're living in a world that's becoming free of the law of God. It's creating its own new world order. And it is a world that doesn't even know what is right and wrong. And that society will give birth to a man of its own making, the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. And the verse goes on to call him the son of perdition. The word perdition, the Greek word apoleia, describes something that is rotten and filled with maggots, and it means everything that he touches will turn to rottenness. Though he will proclaim himself to be a progressive leader of a new age, the truth is he will be the one who brings rot into the world. And then amazingly, Paul says this in verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Now, why is that amazing? Because Paul was only with the church of Thessalonica three months. Three months. These were brand new Christians. And the first three months that he was with them, when he needed to be teaching them who they were in Christ and what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit and how to exercise authority in Christ, he believed understanding end-time events was so important that in the first three months he was with these new believers, he instructed them about the end of the age. This is how important it is that we understand. And then he continues, and he says in verse 6, And now you know. What withholdeth that he, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time? The word withholdeth is a compound of the word kata and the word echo. The word kata means down. The word echo means to hold. It means to hold down, to restrain, to hold back. You could translate it, now you know what is postponing. Now you know what is stalling. Now you know what is straining him that he might be revealed in his time. The word revealed, the Greek word apokalupto. The word apo means away. The word kalupto means to veil. It tells us that at this current moment, whoever the Antichrist is, he is veiled. We cannot know his identity at this moment. Now, if you hear somebody on YouTube tell you that they know who the Antichrist is, my friends, they do not know who the Antichrist is. People have played that game for a long, long time, and this verse clearly says he is concealed. But a day will come when apocalypto, the veil will be removed. And when the veil is removed, he will step forward on center stage, and suddenly he will make his grand appearance. This verse says, in his time. There is a time for this. When is the time? Look at verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. 
Only he who now lets, that's the King James Version, it's a Greek word, kadeko, he who now stalls, the one who is now putting on the brakes, the one who is now restraining and holding the emergence of all of this evil will let, the Greek says, will continue to postpone, will continue to stall, will continue to put on the brakes until he be taken out of the way. And the Greek sentence structure literally says, until he is suddenly removed from the midst of everything. And here we have a declaration about the rapture of the church. And as long as the church is present in the earth, as flawed as we are, we are so powerful that the full emergence of evil cannot enter center stage because our very presence with God dwelling in us is stalling, it is postponing, it is putting on the brake, stopping the emergence of all of this evil. And the verse says, as long as we're restraining, he will not be revealed, but when we're taken out of the way, verse 8, then, and the word then in Greek means in that very synchronized moment, the wicked one shall be revealed. The word revealed, again, the Greek word apokalupto, which means in that very moment when the church is evacuated, in that synchronized moment, the curtain will finally be pulled apart and the man of lawlessness will make his grand appearance to the world. Now, the reason it is important for us to understand what the Bible says is because if you know what the Bible says, then you're not led astray by silliness. For example, I don't know what you think about the vaccine, and that's not the purpose of my teaching tonight. But there were people who said the vaccine was the mark of the beast. My friends, the mark of the beast will be issued by the Antichrist, and the Antichrist will not make his appearance until the church has been taken out of the way, which means the vaccine cannot be the, anti the mark of the beast. There are people who are afraid that maybe the Antichrist is already running the show. He cannot run the show until the church has been removed and taken out of the midst of everything. And then, in that synchronized moment, that's when he will step center stage. And the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, will begin his earthly reign. The Bible is so very clear about all of this. But then I want you to go back over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul again says, This know also, that in the last days, or now you understand the Greek actually says, This know also, you need to emphatically, categorically know and understand that when time has sailed to the very last port and not much more time remains for the rest of the journey, you will know it because you will feel that you're surrounded and encumbered on every side by perilous times. And then as Paul continues in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he gives 25 specific signs that will emerge in society at the end of the age. And I would advise you to very carefully read this chapter because, my friend, you will find that we are surrounded by these signs. We are encumbered by these signs all around us. But then when you get to verse 14, Paul gives his advice, his response to all of this bad news. But continue thou 
in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. The words continue. In Greek is the word meno. The word meno means to abide, to stay, to stick with your guns. It is the attitude that doesn't bend, it doesn't flinch, it refuses to surrender. It is the attitude that says, this is my territory, I refuse to surrender it. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, when you live in a society that is luring everybody away from what they have believed, you maintain your territory, you stick with your guns, you stick with what you believe, you refuse to budge, refuse to flinch, stick with what you have been taught. And then in verse 15, he identifies it as the scripture. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Verse 16, all scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. What in the world does that mean, inspiration of God? Well, in Greek, it is the word theopneustos. The word theo is where you get the word for, anybody know? Theos, theology, it's the word for God. The second part of the word panustos, the very root of the word is the word panu. And this is very, very important when you consider what is the Bible. The word panu is an old Greek word which had three primary meanings. Number one, it described creative power. If you're taking notes, please write that down. Creative power. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it describes the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the deep and the Holy Spirit releasing power to bring order to darkness. The word panu is used there to describe the creative power of God that is released. Secondly, this root word, the word panu, in the word inspiration, theopneustos, was used to describe fragrance. For example, in the ancient world, if you didn't like the smell in your house, you could go to the perfume store and you could buy a bottle of fragrance. And when you brought their fragrance to your house and you took the lid off the top, suddenly the fragrance would begin to bring a new aroma. It would bring a new smell into your house. Number three, this word panu, the root word panu, was used to describe the breath that a flautist would breathe into a flute in order to play his instrument. He would put his instrument to his lips, but without breath, there would be no music. But when he would begin to breathe into the instrument, suddenly the instrument would begin to produce the most wonderful music. So this word panu also describes music. And when you take all of this into this word inspiration, it tells us that in the word of God, number one, there is creative power. This is very important. Number two, in the word of God is the aroma of heaven. And if you don't like the smell in your house right now, then dive into the word of God. Take the lid off of the word of God and release its power. It will bring a new aroma, a new fragrance into your life. And if you don't like the current music that you hear being played in your life, then dive into the word of God because in the word of God are the sounds of heaven. Everything we need is in the word of God. Now this is really amazing. Because Paul, in this chapter, has been describing about all the dilemmas and all the problems that are going to wreck society at the end of the age. He comes all the way to the end of the chapter and says, but you stick with what you know and what you have been assured of. And remember that the word of God 
has power in it to bring creativity and to bring order to darkness. The Word of God has power to bring a new smell into people's lives. It has the power to bring the sounds of heaven into someone's life and into their home. And then he goes on to say, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We could spend a whole hour on these, but just look at the word correction. The word correction describes a person that has been knocked flat by life. Well, if you study chapter 3, you find there are going to be many events which are going to knock people flat in life. Moral decisions that are wrong, family problems that are difficult, financial dilemmas, things that just knock people flat simply because they live in the end of the age. Well, you know, we charismatics, we love to go to meetings where people fall under the power of God. But in this particular verse, we find the Word of God has so much power that if you've been knocked flat by life, it has the power to stand you upright on your feet again because that is what the word correction means. To take a person that's been knocked flat, to pick them up and put them back on their feet again. And that's what the Word of God can do for anybody who will embrace it. And then Paul says in verse 17 that the man of God, the Greek says that anyone belonging to God, male or female, it doesn't matter, anyone belonging to God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly furnished is very important, particularly in this chapter. Because thoroughly furnished is a word which was only used one way. And that means it only has one possible interpretation, not two, just one. Thoroughly furnished was a word which was used to describe a simple boat. A boat that had no gear, had no sail, had no oars, had no anchor, had no equipment. And because it was just a simple vanilla boat with no equipment of any kind, even if it shoved out from the shore, it couldn't go very far at all. It certainly could not endure bad weather. It couldn't get through rough waves. And in fact, it probably just had to come right back to the shore. It wasn't equipped for long-distance sailing. However, the fact that it has been thoroughly furnished, this is where the word comes from, means the very same boat which began very simple with no equipment, if you take the very same boat and you give it oars and you give it a sail and you give it an anchor and you give it the equipment that it needs, the very same boat which previously could not go very far has now become thoroughly furnished so that when it sails out from the shore, it can keep sailing all the way to the other side. It can make it through the worst storm, through the worst waves. It is now equipped for a long distance, sailing all the way to the other side. Now that is amazing. Here we have the genius of the Holy Spirit. Because in verse 1, he began with a nautical term. When time has sailed to the last part. And not much more time remains for the rest of the journey. Then the entire chapter, he describes the rough weather, the rough waves the society is going to deal with in the end of the age. Then he comes to verse 14. He says to Timothy, and he says to us, however, here is the answer. You stick with what you have been taught. And then he says, the word of God 
is filled with the creative power that you need. It will bring new sounds into your life. It will bring a new aroma into your home. And not only that, if you've been knocked flat, the Word of God can pick you up, put you back on your feet again. And not only that, it doesn't matter how simple you have been. If you will embrace the Word and let the Word do its work in your life, it will give you all the equipment that you need so that at the end of the age, you're going to make it all the way to the other side. You're not going to sink. You're not going to go down with the rest of society because the Word of God has the power to thoroughly equip you, furnish you, to make it all the way to the other side. My friends, we've been tagged by the Holy Spirit. Somebody has to live at the end of the age. Somebody has to be that generation. And Jesus said, take heed. You'll know when you've sailed to the very end because the world will be filled with planel. Society as a whole morally will become diluted. It will begin going off track as spirits of delusion are released into the world to make people question even facts that are scientific. Spirits of delusion, well-packaged information designed to lead an entire generation away from what they once believed. People will feel they've hit an impasse, surrounded on every side. You know, Denise and I just got here, flew in from Moscow, miraculously because I broke my foot last Wednesday. I think I'm doing pretty good, don't you? I think it's amazing. We got to the United States because of sanctions against Russia. We no longer get Western news. But when we got here, I was excited to watch the news. Wow. We're watching the news. And soon I was sorry that we were watching the news because we are truly living in a delusional world where California is debating whether or not parents should be informed that their children have decided to be transgender. What? What are you talking about? Should parents be informed? I saw today on the news people talking about how we are abusing the rights of children by making them tell their parents about them making monumental decisions in their life. It's delusional. We're living in the age of delusion. And lawlessness, lawlessness, who would have imagined the rebellion would run so deep in Western society until people would rebel against their gender? Rebel against their gender. Isaiah 5 verse 20 says, the end of the age will be a time when people will call darkness light and light darkness good bad and bad good it all agrees with what jesus said about the end of the age people always say well jesus said there's going to be earthquakes and famines and pestilence yes he said all of that but when they asked for a sign he began with the number one most glaring sign of all you'll know when you've come to the end beware lest any man planel morally leads you off track, and he prophesied a world where delusionary spirits 
would be released in society at the end of the age. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. You've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You've got the blood of Jesus. You have a covenant. You've got the Word of God. And my friends, if we will embrace the Word of God, it will give us all the equipment we need to sail through these times. And we don't have to sail through these times with fear. We can shout hallelujah. Prophets prophesied about this time, and we get to live in it. We are able to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. We can throw a bowie to people that are sinking in the world that is around us. And that is our mission. That's our mission. You have never been more needed than you are needed right now. And that is what Pastor Dwayne asked me to share with you tonight. So I want you to put your hand on your heart. I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you are not in the business of scaring us. You don't give anybody a spirit of fear, but you love us so much that you tell us in advance of what's going to take place. So we'll wake up and we'll be alerted and prepared for it. As we sit in this room today, maybe you're thinking of someone you know that's already listening to something delusional. Or somebody who used to be so committed to church and now they're beginning to drift and you think, what in the world are they doing? It's an evidence of the sign that we're living in. And my friend, today I urge you by the Spirit of God to dig in your heels and make a determination that you're not going to budge. You're not going to flinch. Even if you feel the world all around you has gone another direction, you're going to stick with the Word of God that will give you the ability to sail through these times. And Father, right now I pray for parents in this room and grandparents who see their kids and their grandkids who are tempted to go in another direction. And Father, I pray for you to give to every parent and every grandparent the courage not to cave for their kids, but to stand strong so when their kids need help, they'll have somebody to come back to. We thank you for it, Father. Let's just raise our hands to heaven for a moment. We thank you for the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Help us to be people of integrity in these times and to shine as lights in this world. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.